encounters with Jesus in John's Gospel, and we are in the first part of the first half of John. Uh, John 1 to 11 is called the Book of Signs because it's all about the miracles, the signs that Jesus performed, and they point to who he is. And the first part of the Book of Signs is chapters 1 to 4, and the miracle we're going to look at this morning, the encounter of the rich nobleman whose son Jesus healed with our Saviour, this closes the first part of the first half of John, because we're told this is the second sign, verse 54, Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. The first sign was changing the water into wine in the same place, Cana of Galilee. And just a brief resume, after Jesus had turned the water into wine, he went down to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and that's when he did his first cleansing of the temple, and he spoke to Nicodemus. And then he goes from Jerusalem to the wilderness of Judea, where John, the Baptist disciples, John has been imprisoned, so they come and follow Jesus, and the religious leaders hear about this, and the success that Jesus is having there, and Jesus escapes back to Galilee. But he goes through Samaria in order to get there. Why? Because he knows that there's one lost soul in Samaria that needs to be saved, the woman. And we've seen, and we've spent some time at the well of Sichar, how Jesus brings this woman to himself, and then as a result of that, there's a little revival in Samaria. And from there, he stayed two days, two days of blessing. Wouldn't you love to be in a church where we had two days of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? That's what happens in revival. People don't want to go home. They just want to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ. And now he goes back to Galilee. I think he goes back with a reluctant heart. Why am I saying that? Because he isn't really accepted, is he? Uh, by his own people. We'll see that in a moment. And it's in Cana of Galilee that he performs his second miracle in the first part of the first half of John's Gospel. Interesting, the first miracle at Cana, turning water into wine, was during a wedding celebration. This miracle of healing the nobleman's son is not in the context of celebration, is it? It's in the context of sorrow. So what I want to say to you this morning is whether your life is up, maybe you are in a celebratory frame. Well, Jesus is sufficient for that. Or whether you have come in here this morning down in the depths with sorrow, then it's Jesus Christ that is sufficient for you. Whatever I need, it's Jesus Christ. Now, what I want to concentrate on this morning is one thing, faith. It's faith that 
we see in this man. And as a result of his faith, his son is healed. And encountering Jesus, it is through faith we come to know him. It is through faith we are saved. It is through faith alone. But there's different kinds of faith. And that's what we're going to look at in these verses. The first faith I want to talk about is nominal faith. Nominal faith. Let me mention first about the response of Jesus' own people to him. Uh, we're told that he didn't really want to go back to Galilee because, verse 44, if you've got a Bible, Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when Jesus preached his first sermon in the synagogue in Nazareth, do you know what the response was? People didn't welcome him with open arms. Do you know what they tried doing to him? They tried to push him off the cliff because they were greatly offended by his sermon. Now, I've never had that happen to me, but it's a sure sign of God's blessing sometimes when there's great opposition to the word of God. Uh, think of Howell Harris in 18th century Wales preaching in Bala. And Bala was a rougher place then than it is now. And people would be throwing stones at him. So we should take courage if there's opposition to the gospel. But that's not nominal faith. The nominal faith which we've got here is the attitude not of the Nazarenes to him, the people of Nazareth, but of the Galileans in the surrounding area. So Jesus was in Cana. Now, a bit of geography. If you've been to the Holy Land, you will know that Cana's up in the hills overlooking the Sea of Galilee. It's only a small village, and it's a beautiful location. And then further up the shores of the lake is Capernaum, about 15 miles. That sets the scene for what we've got here. So the people of Cana, what are we told? Verse 45, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. So at first sight, it looks as if this is genuine faith, but it's not. It's nominal faith. Let me give you an illustration of nominal faith. I'm a nominal supporter of Everton. Just as well, I think, with the trouble they're in. Uh, when I was in primary school in North Wales, you either supported Liverpool or Everton. Liverpool were red, Everton were blue. I like blue, so I supported Everton. And I've supported them ever since. I don't really care how well they're doing. I'm a nominal supporter. There are some here who are probably more than nominal in their support of Everton. And there are people like that when it comes to the Christian faith. Like the Galileans, they give the impression that they welcome Jesus. They pay lip service to him. But it's all on the outside. It's all nominal. And we're told, aren't we, that these people welcomed Jesus having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast. Maybe some of them had seen him changing the water into wine. It was the best wine they'd ever tasted. So they now want more of him. They'd seen the miracles that he did in Jerusalem. And they want him for the signs and the wonders. 
And once this nobleman comes to Jesus to request the healing of his son, Jesus speaks not to him personally, but to the people. It's plural. Verse 48, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. So this is a nominal faith that they have. They want Jesus simply for what he can offer them. What about us? This is how one commentator put it. They were consumers, not worshippers, admirers, not followers. Are we in church because we want Jesus for what we can get out of him. Sorry for putting it so bluntly, but that's what nominal faith is all about. Now, we may not be into signs and wonders. Well, maybe you are. I don't know. But we are a bit more refined, aren't we? So uh, there are people who will come to church because of the kind of service that is offered, whether it's uh, smells and bells, the traditional, or whether it's more modern entertainment. That is why they are coming. They're not really interested in bowing the knee to King Jesus, as we've been singing. No, no, they just like the kind of things that are being done. Can you see how subtle this is? Maybe the one that's the greatest danger for us, especially in Wales, is that we come to hear the preacher. There's this idolatry, isn't there, in Wales of worshipping the preacher. I hope you haven't come here this morning just for that. We have come to meet with the Lord Jesus. So whoever is preaching, whether it's me or Andy or Nathan or a visiting preacher, that's beside the point. The point is this. We have come to see Jesus. Jesus speaking through the preaching of the word. Mark Johnston, who was a minister here in Cardiff, he's back in Ireland now. He's written a commentary on John, and he puts it like this. Jesus is not interested in satisfying crowds who want to be entertained, however that comes about. He is interested in sinners who feel their need and are prepared to take him at his word. That's what Jesus wants. He wants you to realize that whatever other needs you've got, and we've all got needs, we've all got felt needs, but the need is the need of the soul, we are bodies, we are minds, we are emotions, and there are needs in that area. And it's important that they are met. But in a way, the church isn't the place to come to meet those needs. The need for you and for me is the need of our immortal soul. That one day this body will be no more. And whatever emotional, physical, mental needs I may have, that will be no more but the soul is still going to be there, isn't it? Our souls are going to live forever, and our greatest need is to be saved from condemnation. We're under the wrath of God to 
being saved, the need of the soul. That's what Jesus is about. Uh, let me give you an example. There was a very intelligent uh, man, J.I. Packer. Did any of you know him? Did any of you hear him? He's written a book, Knowing God, well worth reading. And Packer preached in the Christian Union in Oxford. Now, that's where you've got intelligent people. And somebody afterwards was greatly offended by him. And they said to him, you were speaking to us as if you were speaking to people in Oxford jail. Well, that's the point. <laughs> Whether you're in church or in prison, it's the same need, isn't it? It's the same need. I'm coming as a sinner. I have no other name. So that's the first thing, nominal faith. May none of us here have a nominal faith. May Heath Church not be a nominal church. May not this church be outward. May we be those who have heart religion. Now let's hurry on to the next kind of faith which we see here. Not nominal now, but genuine, real. Are you real? Because against this discouraging background, where it looks as if these people want Jesus, but they don't really want him, they only want the signs and the wonders, they don't want him as a saviour, there comes one person who has the real thing. And this is the person we're going to zoom in on. It's this nobleman. Who was he? We don't know exactly, but more than likely, he was serving King Herod, and he had a very high position in Herod's courts. And his son is gravely ill. He's at the point of death, and he's heard. He lives in Capernaum, 15 miles away, and he's heard that Jesus is in Cana. So he's come all the way from Capernaum up to Cana, up into the hills, because he asks Jesus to come down to Capernaum. So Nathan is preaching, I've remembered now, in Treharis. It's about 15 miles, isn't it, from here to Treharis? So that, that's the kind of distances that are involved. And so he comes to Jesus. He doesn't have great faith, not at this point, but it's real. What about you? Are we real with Jesus? Jesus just wants real sinners. You may not have a great sense of sin, when you read of people in revivals having great conviction of sin, so great that they fall down to the ground bewailing their condition, how many of us have experienced that? Very few people today. But my friend, you can still have real sense of need. And this is such a person. So what's real faith like? We're not thinking of great faith at this stage. This is faith the size of a mustard seed. But at least he's real. Well, the first thing, is he comes to Jesus, doesn't he? <laughs> Real faith will come to Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter how far, 15 miles for this man, and it was uphill as well, uphill. But he's heard that Jesus can heal, and so he has enough faith to come. Are you coming to Jesus if you're a believer, are you coming again? 
to Jesus. I am coming, Lord, coming now to thee. Wash me, cleanse me in the blood, that sacrificial death that flowed on Calvary. You can be convicted of sin, but that doesn't save you. It's coming to Jesus that saves. The conviction is there to awaken us, to see our need, so that we come. And notice he comes personally, doesn't he? He doesn't send a servant. Now, a man of his authority, he would have many people at his service. And you'd have expected him to have sent a servant. You know, it's a long way from Capernaum to Cana, and it's uphill at the last stage. It's nice along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, but once you have to go up into the hills, well, why don't I just send a servant? No, he's real. He must come himself. He doesn't want a second-hand experience. Are there anybody here this morning, you're relying on the faith of your parents? You must come yourself, even with your little faith, even with your weakness, just as I am. Poor, wretched, blind. And then notice he's humble, isn't he? Not humble, like Uriah Heep, one of Charles Dickens' character. He's really humble. He besought Jesus. The word there means begged. Here is this important big wig of society traveling all the way from Capernaum up to Cana. And then he doesn't command Jesus. He gets, I can imagine him getting on his knees, begging. He might be a rich man, but he's now a beggar. He's not coming to Jesus as a rich man. He's coming to Jesus as a sinner. That's the problem with nominal faith. We want to dictate to Jesus, don't we? We want Jesus at our own terms. But real faith is willing to take Jesus at his terms, even any terms, as we will see in a moment. So he's coming. He could have said, look, you, you carpenter's son, I'm in a much higher position than you in society. Look, my boy is sick. I want you to come down to Capernaum at once, and I want you to heal him. There are people like that, aren't there? People who have big jobs. They come to church, and they think they can order us about. It's not like that with Jesus Christ. If you've got real faith, he's the king. You might just see a carpenter's son. You might just see somebody who is poor, but you're coming to him because you're a sinner, and he's the saviour. And he has promised, I will never cast you out. He that comes, I will never cast out. And then look at what else is true of genuine faith. He's desperate, isn't he? So he implores Jesus, verse 47, and then Jesus makes this statement about people not believing unless they see sign and wonders. That would have put a lot of people off, wouldn't it? Well, he's not interested in healing my son then. But true faith. Even the smallest of faith won't take no for an answer. It won't give in. He must have Jesus heal his son at all costs. He says, doesn't he? Where are we? The nobleman, verse 49, said to him, Sir, Lord, that's the meaning in the original, come down before my child dies. It's desperate. 
It's not a maybe situation. It's a matter of life and death. He's at the point of death. This is why believing in Jesus Christ is so important. This is why church isn't here to cater to our whims or to entertain us. It's because salvation is a matter of life and death. Somebody said football isn't a matter of life and death. It's more important than that. Was it Shankly who said that? But salvation is even more important because it's a matter of eternal death on the one hand, eternal life on the other. I must be saved. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. And there's one little detail here. He uses a different word for his son a second time round. He's not put off by Jesus. Verse 49, Sir, come down before my child dies. There's a term of endearment there. We've got it in Welsh. I don't think you've got it in the English quite. In Welsh, we've got the word bach. Small. That doesn't sound very endearing, does it? But there's a godly lady in North Wales. She sometimes phones me to encourage me. And she's very grateful for the ministry here of myself, Andy and Nathan. And she calls Nathan, Nathan Bach. Tell me, how is Nathan Bach? doing now that is not an insult uh, when you try to translate it how is little nathan doing well he's not little is he but it's a term of endearment it's a term of endearment and he he just says to jesus my little my little one bah he's dying i, I don't deserve lord I've got little faith. It's impure faith. It's mixed with unbelief. As another person said, Lord, I do believe. Help mine unbelief. Listen to John Bunyan here. John Bunyan struggled, didn't he? Uh, Coming to Jesus. You can read it in Grace Abounding. And he says this. I was driven to such straits that I must go to Jesus. And if he did not save me it was all over even if he met me with a drawn sword in his hand i would sooner have thrown myself on the edge of his sword than have gone away from him i knew that jesus was my last hope is jesus your last hope your only hope there is no other no other so that's true faith not much faith but it's real That's the most important thing. Not the spectacular, not the signs and wonders, not the success, but have we got the real faith? Even a little child can have real faith. Did you hear the little child say amen at the start of the service? Out of the mouths of babe and sucklings, God has perfected praise. And then finally, and quickly, because we've got communion, look at strong faith. Strong faith. Can I, can I just uh, say one more thing about real faith? Real faith takes God at his word. Isn't that simple? God says something, and he's the God who cannot lie, so it must be true. So Jesus says, your son is healed. If Jesus has said it, it must be true. And so I take him at his word. If you've got, uh, I don't know, uh, a disease, and you go and see the consultant, and they've done a scan, 
and they've checked all the scans and the consultant with his wealth of experience says you're all clear you take them at their word don't you well how much more with Jesus Christ the physician of souls Martin Luther said in faith we must look to nothing but the word of God faith clings to the naked pure word of God as we sang not what I feel or do can give me peace with God not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load thy work alone O Christ can ease the weight of sin thy blood alone O Lamb of God can give me peace within are some of you waiting for something to happen maybe you're a young person and you've heard of people who've been converted and you've heard of them sharing their testimonies and their experiences and you're waiting for the miracle to come as Leonard Cohen put it but my friend you don't have to wait true faith takes Jesus at his word the experience follows we make it too complicated don't we simple trust in the promise of Jesus Christ are you standing on the promises so finally strong faith strong faith finally we see this man starting off with weak faith it's true faith but he shines with strong faith by the end let me just go through the details here their importance he's desperate verse 49 come down before my little one dies and all Jesus says Jesus doesn't even come to Capernaum all he says is go your way your son lives the bare naked promise that's all this man has got so what did he do he believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way so here he is now let's get the geography right he's in Cana Jesus says the word your son is healed go your way so the man leaves Cana and he goes back down the hill back along the shores of the Sea of Galilee 15 miles to Capernaum and on his way it's quite long isn't it try walking from here to Treharis it would take a while on his way he meets his servants who've come from the home in Capernaum and they tell him the good news that the son is healed right and then the man asks at what time did the fever leave him and verse 52 he's told yesterday at the seventh hour what time is that he was healed yesterday at one o'clock just after midday now then get your mind around this the day before the man has come to from Capernaum to Cana to see Jesus to implore for his son that Jesus would heal him and at one o'clock Jesus says go your way your son is healed just after midday and now the next day the man is traveling back to Capernaum because the servant says when he meets him halfway your son was healed yesterday at one o'clock Do you know what he does he believes 
He inquired of him, verse 52, what hour he got better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he himself believed. Now we've already been told that he believed the word the previous day. So he's believing again. What does that mean? It simply means this. He now believes even more. He's now got the full assurance of faith. He's got strong faith. His faith has been confirmed. I think he believed when he was in Capernaum hearing reports of Jesus of Nazareth, this mighty prophet who could do miracles. He had faith the size of the mustard seed then, but he believed. He certainly believed when he came to Jesus and Jesus says, go your way, your son lives, because we're told he believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. But by the time the following day, the servants has said, your son lives, his faith is blossoming strong faith so i'm asking those who do believe are you still believing dali greddy we say in wales how are you not okay still believing dali greddy well is your faith stronger today than it was when you first believed strong faith is assured faith strong faith is able to look back on times when God has heard our cries. I'm sure when this man got back to his house, he could share experiences of how Jesus had heard him and had answered more than abundantly the desires of his heart. Like the psalmist in Psalm 40, I waited patiently on the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Uh, there was a, an old man, didn't have much formal education, and somebody looked at his Bible, and they saw written TNT several times uh, at the side of many verses. TNT. What does that mean? They asked him, what does it mean, TNT? And the man said, tried and true. Tried and true. Every verse I've written TNT by means God has given me that promise, and it's come to pass tried and true have you got tnt isn't this the dynamite that makes the word of god so powerful god is tried taste and see that the lord is gracious and true haven't you got stories to tell many of you here Hasn't God given you verses? I remember one person, they would say of such verses, it's my verse. So powerfully has God spoken to me in it. And it may have taken not just days or weeks or months, but years. And that verse has come to pass. My God is tried and true to me. And he's the same to you. Strong faith. I think we don't share enough of our experiences of God, do we? God is so good. We've tried him. And we've found him again and again to be true to his word. Especially when we've been in straits. And some of you have been in dire straits. But God hasn't abandoned you, has he? So this is strong faith now speaking. And then there's something else about strong faith. I really need to finish here. It doesn't hurry. <laughs> it doesn't hurry. This man did not leave Cana straight away because he was traveling the following day. Now, if you would have been him, you would have 
want you to go back to your child, wouldn't you, to see if Jesus' word was true. But this man is so convinced that Jesus' promise is true that, can I put it like this, he hangs around. He wants to hang around Jesus, and he takes his time. Now, there's a lovely promise in the Bible. He that believes shall not make haste. Now, there was somebody, they'd been saved many, many years ago, and they hadn't been baptized yet. And they used to quote the promise, he that believes shall not make haste. Well, that's not the right use of the promise. <laughs> but like this man, if your confidence is in Jesus Christ, you're not going to panic. We're good at panicking, aren't we? Well, what's that um, character in Dad's army called? What's his name? Jones. Don't panic, don't panic, don't panic. And especially when it comes to our children. Those of you who are Christians and your children, you don't know where they stand spiritually, and you, you can get into a tiz about them, and you want to rush things, and you want, I don't know, you want the church to do things in order to get the children. But, my friend, only God can save if you leave them in the hands of Jesus, don't panic. Don't panic. As Spurgeon puts it beautifully, the father traveled, he wasn't rushing, uh, the father traveled with the leisure of confidence. It's all right. You can imagine him, can't What, what was that advert? I'm not um, recommending you smoke cigars, but the Hamlet advert. Do you remember the advert? It had Bach here on G-string playing in the background. Somebody was really stressed, and then uh, they uh, relaxed by smoking a Hamlet cigar. Happiness is a cigar called Hamlet. Now, that's not what we're being recommended here. Happiness is leaning on Jesus Christ, not just for my salvation, but for my children's, those who are near and dear, not just salvation, but all our problems, we leave with Jesus. And then we can travel lightweight with heads held high, no matter how rough the road may be, no matter what the opposition may be, no matter what the wind and the waves and the rain may do. We have a confidence, a quiet confidence that Jesus doeth all things well. Uh, there was a man converted in Carmarthen, die, die. He's gone to glory now. Uh, he was a tailor, so uh, in good Welsh fashion, he was nicknamed Die Taylor. That's what they called him in the church, Die Taylor. And when he was saved, he went to see Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and he wanted to do something for the Lord. He wanted to do many things. And the doctor said to him, my boy, my boy, it's all of grace. It's all of grace. Relax. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In the way we go as a church, let us never do anything out of panic. Let us... Go with a quiet confidence of faith in a Savior who does all things well. We're not surprised, are we, that such faith is contagious. 
because the rest of his household believed as well. May we be a contagious church. Uh, may people in Cardiff say of the Heath, what's going on there? Uh, there is something happening there. Jesus is on the move for his namesake.